This podcast contains adult themes and language. Okay, so there's going to be some sexual discussions and bad words. You have been warned. After the incident with the stranger and the cell phone, Carla found me passed out on the floor of my office. When she decided to risk applying for the secretary position I'd posted in the front window. I guess letting that last restraining order expire had encouraged her. I tend to go through secretaries pretty quickly. Anyone qualified to do what I need done isn't always amenable in the long term to what I can afford to pay. And it's not exactly a position that affords an opportunity for career growth. When Carla couldn't rouse me, she'd called an ambulance. A move that really torqued my engine when I came to in the emergency room, hooked to a bag of IV fluid. When I tried to yank the tube out of my arm, Carla swatted me in the face with the magazine she'd been reading during my four-hour slumber. Leave it. A harried nurse popped her head through the curtain. Cropped brown hair, no makeup, stern visage. Good, he's awake. See if you can get him to drink this. I don't have time to be hovering over another bender. She shoved a bottle of Gatorade at Carla. No problem. I worked in a daycare once. Getting kids to drink their juice was my specialty. Carla yanked the curtain back into place. I'm not drinking that shit. Oh, you're drinking it. Even if I have to climb up there on that bed with you, straddle your hips and pour it down your throat. I threw the sheet off and realized I wore nothing beneath the hospital gown. Please tell me you undressed me. That'll be the cherry on this fuck of a Sunday. Carla chuckled. No, I didn't. I prefer my men just shy of a coma when I undress them. She pointed to my discarded clothes and said, I did note that you were going commando based on the absence of underwear in that pile. Bold choice, Morneau, bold choice. Now be a good boy and drink this swill so we can get the hell out of here. One fully consumed Gatorade earns you a future blowjob. How about that? She shoved the bottle an inch from my face. I pushed her hand away. Damn it, woman. I'm not interested. I'll take the Gatorade and blowjob. The curtain separating ours from the next cubicle slid open to reveal a chubby older man, similarly hooked up to an IV and wearing a hospital gown. His glassy eyes were cheerful, his smile genuine, and his almost bald head sported a comb-over that clearly wasn't ready to surrender the dream. Before either of us could answer, the nurse re-entered and silently checked my IV bag. Hey, where's my Gatorade? Oh, now you want to drink it, huh, Barney? The nurse asked, not bothering to look at him. She squeezed the almost empty bag. If it comes with a BJ, I'm on board, Barney said, licking his lips, twin earthworms wriggling beneath a bulbous nose. 
The nurse finally favored him with eye-to-eye -eye contact. I'm not sure what planet you live on, but I have a hard time imagining anyone willing to wrap their lips around your disgusting pecker. Hey, be nice. I wasn't crazy about Nurse Ratchet's bedside manner. Nice isn't in my job description. Neither is dealing with two drunks all Sunday afternoon when I've got a waiting room full of real patients. But we can thank the state of our health care system for that, can't we? She slid over to check Barney's IV bag, then noted something on one of the armful of charts she was juggling. Interesting. Neither of you have insurance. Seems to me that if people actually had to pay for our services, we'd have more winos sobering up on their own couches or wherever they landed after they decided to empty a bottle down their throat instead of an ER gurney. Hey, I didn't ask to be here, and I'm happy to leave. I grabbed my pants and tugged them on, yanking off the hospital gown. I was anxious to put some distance between me and the woman who was clearly disgruntled with her career choice and determined to make sure every one of her patients knew that, but for their presence, she'd be sitting at the nurse's station gabbing with her co-workers about the newest American Idol contestants rather than tending to the needs of people whose damage didn't rise to the level required for her to give a damn. When I turned around, Carla was pulling one of the charts away from the nurse. She ripped the top page in half and grabbed her pen, scribbled an address and telephone number on the back, then shoved them both back at the nurse. Here you go, sunshine. Send me his bill. Hell, send me Barney's too. I'll pay him. But you know what? You might consider treating the patients like you're paid to do and leave the fucking commentary for talk radio. When I yanked out my IV line, Barney instantly did the same with an ingratiating air of solidarity. Carla grabbed her purse. Hungry? Dinner's on me. Or me too? Yeah, you too, Barney. If we can find you some pants. Carla pointed to the dimpled ass poking out the back of his hospital gown. I'm pretty sure that shirt and shoes required doesn't mean that pants are optional. So that's kind of how it went. How Carla slid from insufferable stalker to the ingratiating irritant sitting in the passenger seat of my car, scribbling on her notepad. Make a note to call Vale Realty. Find out the status of the house, any recent activity, potential buyers. We need to know why Mrs. Bell was living there. Also, get a list of her co-workers at Deckard's Cleaning Company so we can set up interviews. We need to stop by the hospital and find out about his status, next of kin. Run down some family to interview. He won't be talking, at least for now, so we need to find someone who will. She nodded, but I noticed her looking at my hands on the steering wheel. They were shaking, almost imperceptibly, but I was sure she could see it. She turned to stare out the window. Can we get a drink? She left a few seconds of silence between the subterfuge and pretext, then turned to look at me and said, I'm on my period. I've got cramps. I shook my head. Nobody ever taught you about need-to-know information, did they? Ten minutes later, we were at the Meanwhile, home of the watered-down cheap draft and moderately edible five-buck half-pound burger. But the steaks are great, and the bartender keeps a couple bottles of my favorite scotch on hand, so I have nothing to complain about. 
The meanwhile is a long, narrow space that was once a diner. The wall opposite the bar houses a row of semicircular booths with green cushioned seats and low-hanging lamps over each table. Scuffed wood floor, walls painted brown with green trim, a kitchen off the back, and to the left of that, a small, recessed area with three more two-seater booths across from a payphone. Carla sat in the booth next to me, listening to my side of the conversation as she took a swig of beer, then started on her steak. So we're looking at a week, then. With my cell phone burrowed between my shoulder and ear and a hand wrapped around my drink, I motioned to the bartender for another. Yeah, fax to report to my office when it's done. I'll have Carla send you what we've got. I snapped the cell phone closed, my backside rising slightly off the booth as I straightened to slide it into my pants pocket. Lash wants a copy of it, I began, but she was already talking over me. Mm-hmm. I'll type up everything and send it to him once we do those interviews. Like I said, ingratiating irritant. The bartender ambled over, deposited my third scotch on the table, and waited the second or two it took me to down the dregs of my second and hand him the glass. We exchanged a formal nod. Muggs Lusky, at 62, he's half Irish, half Italian, all brooding contemplation. His voice is a smooth baritone, but he doesn't use it much. His wife of 37 years died a few years back, so most of what he says now has that solemn ring to it that makes him sound like an old soul sent from the ether to patiently impart wisdom. He's a better man than I, and I suspect his aim is to one day save me from something we both know I don't think I need saving from. Still, we're friends. But whenever I'm here, other than after closing, we keep it formal. That doesn't keep him from taking it all in, which is what he was doing as he watched Carla and me in the mirror behind the bar while he filled salt shakers. I was sure he'd eventually have something to say about my recently acquired company. He always did. So they think that she died a week ago? Around the same time Deckard stroked out. She took another bite but stopped in mid-chew to tuck her pinky under an errant hair that had made its way into her mouth. She brushed the finger across her cheek, pinning the hair, along with a deep raspberry-colored tendril behind her ear. I dragged my attention from her ear and the tiny diamond stud piercing it to the slope of her neck, down her jawbone to her pert chin, reluctantly sliding my gaze over to the steak on my plate. Hmm. Carla's sigh rode out on a quiet hum. I assume you'd rather just eat than listen to me bitch about how you need to eat until you finally cave, so how about we just agree to skip over that part? Carla took another bite of her steak. I put the drink down and lit into mine like a man on a grudging mission. Quick and dirty. Slow down there, cowboy. We don't need a repeat of the Barney incident. I don't think that was as much about my Heimlich prowess as it was divine intervention. I'm convinced that old Barney walks with the gods. Man, this is good. It's good, isn't it? Barney, attired in green scrubs due to the unwearable condition of the clothing he'd been brought to the emergency room in, gnawed on a huge mouthful of steak. Yep, good. 
but I wasn't eating. I was busy drinking, having been the recipient of the breakfast of alcoholic champions, a full bag of glucose and lactated ringers. My usually inundated system demanded immediate refueling. Carla's enjoyment of Barney's enthusiasm dissipated as she watched me motion silently for another drink. Woman, don't. I pointed a finger at her. I've seen that look. Responded to it more times than I cared to ponder. You want to sit with me and sup? You're going to need to paint your face with another expression. If that requires some time in the john and the assistance of CoverGirl or Maybelline to make that magic happen, so be it. I have no available space in my general proximity for critiques of my lifestyle. I'm an alcoholic. A happy alcoholic. I am as fond of the drink as you seem to be of the eau de toilette. If we can let each other be, things will tick along much more smoothly. Deal? Carla bit her bottom lip. We both knew I had opened the door a crack, but I'd slam it before she could wriggle her way inside if she didn't shove her foot between the door and the jam. I suspected she was working on a plan to do just that. She had that look about her, and the woman was damned good at wriggling. Barney took a break from his sloppy mastication to lean in close, his nose inches from her breasts. He sniffed loudly, then once more, deeply, appreciatively, before tilting his head to look up at her. I think you smell good, real good. Carla's eyes widened comically, and she scooted a few inches away from him. Well, thank you, Barney. But, uh, for future reference... I'm going to need at least 12 inches of personal space between us, at all times. Barney nodded innocently and returned to his steak, shoving a dangerous portion into his mouth. Carla turned her attention back to me. All right, detective, we've got a deal. No more alcohol commentary. But just be sure to let me know when that next wave of hap-hap-happiness rolls in so I can memorize your accompanying facial expression. I sure wouldn't want to confuse it with constipation or an impacted bowel. Bernie's shoulders bounced up and down as he chewed his pound of bovine flesh and suppressed a bout of laughter. I held up my glass, took a deep swig, and then slapped on a gargantuan, face-altering parody of a smile. See? Happy. I'm a veritable font of hap-hap-happiness right now. Barney dropped his cutlery and grabbed his throat. <laughs> Shit! I knocked over my glass as I jumped up. Carla shoved the table away from the half-circle boot and climbed behind Barney, wrapping her arms around his waist just below the sternum. With her hands clasped into a knot, she jerked upward a couple times. Barney's face turned redder. Carla squeezed him three more times, groaning with the effort. Hey, Barney! I barked, smacking him in the head. Spit it up! I have to admit, my course of action was far less refined than Carla's. But a hunk of meat instantly ejaculated from Barney's mouth and ricocheted off the table, landing on the floor. Mugs and the handful of other bar patrons didn't even have time to react. It was all over in 30 seconds. Ooh, that was close. I think I saw the light. Is Liberace dead? If not, he's got a doppelganger at the pearly gates. 
he wiped back delinquent strands of his comb-over, which had sagged onto his forehead during Carla's tender ministrations. Jeez, Barney! Manageable bites. Didn't they teach you anything in preschool? I rubbed my face, trying to relieve the tension that had settled in somewhere around the time an emergency tracheotomy involving a steak knife became a possibility. Carla climbed around Barney on her hands and knees, then slid into a sitting position, blowing her bangs out of her face. <sighs> Thank God I wore pants today or that would have been unseemly. She looked over at me. I'm also partial to going commando. When we got reseated, Muggs delivered two beers and a glass of scotch, which we tipped in unison as we stared straight ahead, trying to come down from the just-shy-of-dire moment we'd shared. Carla finished her beer and set it down on the table with a thud. So, Morneau, if I can stifle the urge to constantly remind you that you're exploiting your liver like a sweatshop owner does his horde of 12-year-old Asian girls, can I have the job? She smiled broadly, foot firmly wedged between the door and jam. I type 142 words a minute, according to Mavis Beacon. Oh, damn it, woman. Barney took his last bite of steak and tossed the fork onto his plate, muttering around the mouthful. You two are like Bogey and Bacall. If Bacall had bigger boobs and Bogey was between barbers. Easy, Barney. Alliteration should be sprinkled, not spewed. Carla met my gaze and we silently acknowledged one of the many things we'd yet to discuss. The reason I hadn't written another book since the seventh in a series of crime novels published three years earlier. I felt the need to put a period on the end of the sentence that was a constant unspoken question on her lips. So I said, I used to cut my own hair, then I gave up. It cut into my drinking time. To her credit, Carla raised an eyebrow but said nothing. Allied Cleaning was run by Ward Deckard, six crews in charge of cleaning local businesses at night. The business owners paid Deckard. He took his cut, then paid each crew member from the profits. They provided their own supplies, were offered no insurance or 401k. It was one of those jobs you took to supplement your day job. Carla had pulled the tax records as I'd requested which provided us with a list of three names, all people who worked on the same cleaning crew as Crystal Bell, Sally and Stanley Wayngrove, and John Pendergast. But how does it work? This independent contractor thing, I mean. Carla fished in her purse as we headed toward a downtown Greasy Spoon to interview Sally. Independent contractors apply for a city business license and a fictitious name license. They instantly have their own janitorial service. Deckard pays them by check and gets a fully deductible expense. They get 100% of their money, but it's their responsibility to pay taxes on it. I suspect he's got a few people working for cash, too. The ones he pays on the books keep everything looking nice. But he probably wouldn't hold up to an audit. Depends on his bookkeeping. So it's all legal? 
if he covered his ass with a bid form for each employee, stating the services required, and a list of things needed to fill that contract, general duties, no specifics, then yes. You can't tell independent contractors what they have to do or when. That makes them an employee, not a contractor. For example, you can't say, show up at this time, do this, etc. You have to say, show up before this time. Yeah, but how do they know what to do when they get to the job? It's all pretty convoluted, but it's not brain surgery, Carla. They clean. I'm sure they get a basic what and when list, but it's not down on paper. Hmm, that sounds fishy. Carla took another swig of water and swished it around in her mouth. Can be, but so can our government's attempt to convert legitimate contractors to employees just so they can add more to the social security coffers. You know, that thing that probably won't even exist in 20 years. I have a hard time feeling all chummy toward Uncle Sam when independent contractors are usually cheaper for employees. If we expect small businesses to be job creators, we need to release our collective grip on their sacks. They're forced to do whatever they can these days to keep the employee headcount down. Otherwise, they hit a regulatory wall that requires all kinds of things, like offering insurance and maternity leave. Wait a minute, what's wrong with that? That stuff is important. Carla turned in her seat to face me. Yeah, it's great if the company can afford it. Not everyone has the education or training for a job that offers pension and health care. Some people just want to put in a day's work and get cash in hand. I don't see anything wrong with that. I pulled into the lot and found a space. Inside the diner, I asked the first waitress I saw if we could speak to Sally. She pointed to an overly tanned woman with a cotton candy mass of bleach blonde hair pulled into a ponytail with a severe bump teased at the crown of her head. One look at Sally Wayne told you she was the type of woman for whom the phrase rode hard and put back wet was invented. After asking for a word, Sally led us to a table in her station and gave us each a cup of coffee while we waited for her to go on break. Fifteen minutes later, she sidled up to the table with a glass of iced tea in her hand and slid into the booth next to Carla. Sorry, y'all. Sally leaned across the table to whisper. That last guy, regular customer, horrible tipper. I don't know how much longer I can do this job. Customers, you know. Pain in my ass. But it's not just a customer service thing. I'm a 52-year-old woman sidling up to menopause with the grace of a cat launched down a slip and slide by way of a shuffleboard stick. Her garishly pink lips were a lot thinner than her lipstick application would have you believe, and her large gold hoop earrings were constantly in motion, because she had a habit of tilting her head from side to side as she spoke. Really? 52? I wouldn't have... I started, but had not a chance in hell of finishing. Sally clucked like an impatient hen. Oh, honey, I appreciate that I'm hormonal. I can't remember my own name half the time. These hot flashes are going to end me, and we won't even talk about the gas, all right? But I sure didn't expect my naughty bitch to be humming like a tuning fork 18 hours a day once I started going through the change. It's weird, considering most of my life I've been kind of apathetic about sex. 
Her tone tended to leave an implicit question at the end of each sentence, for no other reason than she wanted to make sure she was being heard. I knew the type, and disliked her immediately. Sally was dark orange, which is usually a color that makes me wary. But she had so many other colors running through her, I couldn't pin her down. Red, brown, spots of yellow. She was kind of a muddled mess. I always thought it was because I like women as much as I like men, and my pheromones were having a goddamned identity crisis. They aren't sure when they're supposed to fare and when they're supposed to moan. Know what I mean? Anyway, my ninny is hopped up on Red Bull and ready to rumble most of the goddamn day, and that's the part my Stanley says makes up for how I'm a bitch most of the time. She lowered her voice to a whisper again. Like last week when we were going at it doggy style, okay? I vainly struggled to swallow the coffee that remained in my mouth while making sure the stuff that had already gone down the wrong pipe stopped coming out of my nose. Sally pulled a wad of napkins from the dispenser and helped me wipe up the mess as she continued. Lord help me, things got so juicy. Stan slipped out right as he was about to, you know what I'm talking about, right? Sweet baby Jesus, that thing turned into a high-powered fire hose with a life of its own. We were scraping that stuff off the ceiling and walls for weeks. It dries like spackle. Did you know that? During her diarrheic bout, Carla's smile had broadened, while my eyebrows incrementally closed in on one another, cinching tight across my forehead. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm a classic overshare. It's cause I'm an open book. You know? But you probably don't want to hear about me and Stanley. So what can I tell you about that poor girl? Crystal. Sally, where are you from originally? Carla flipped open her notebook and tapped her pencil on the blank page. I shot my assistant a raised eyebrow that barely covered my silent but implicit woman. What do you think you're doing? I thought I detected a slight twang. Doesn't sound like you're from around here. When I gave her the eye, Carla put her palms up and shrugged. What? I got a thing about accents. I'm always trying to place them. Oh, well, we moved from Georgia around, let's see, right about 2007. Stanley had a job with GM, worked at a plant in Doraville, but he got transferred. I guess they could see the writing on the wall. He was lucky. Most got laid off permanently. Anyway, it turns out he jumped from the frying pan into the pot. Sally took a sip of her tea, then continued. I assume you know how that all turned out. Carla nodded and made a note on her pad. I cleared my throat and asked, How did you know Mrs. Bell? We worked together, cleaning restaurants, offices, nights. Dex always been really helpful about getting us extra work, me and Stanley. Sally flicked her eyes around the diner with a mild look of distaste. Can't get enough shifts here to pay the bills. She diverted her attention back to me. I'm not one of those gals who sits home and eat bonbons all day, you know. I want to do my fair share. So I pick up three or four shifts a week here. Then me and Stanley do our cleaning jobs three nights a week. Money's not bad, and there's no boss hanging over your shoulder. Know what I mean? I nodded. Plus, we bring our own CDs and a radio for the places that don't have a system. Stanley likes to pump ACDC till the glasses are clattering. Sally rolled her eyes and chuckled. Men. Yeah, uh, speaking of Stanley, 
We'd like to talk to him. I was irritated at her interruption, but I understood it. There was an air about Sally. Something wafting off her like a bitter mixture of desperation, home shopping network, and a kind of insecurity born out of too many busted dreams. The combination was stifling, and not one you wanted to be in the presence of for any length of time. I leaned back in the booth, crossed my arms, and popped on an ineffective smile. I caught a glimpse of myself in the reflection of the glass window. My face didn't appear to welcome the addition, like a body rejecting a foreign organ. Well, he's out of town right now, working in Kalamazoo. He'll be back tomorrow afternoon. You can come talk to him then if you want. Sally pulled a pad out of her apron pocket and tore off a page, writing down her address. Come on out, after five maybe. Stanley usually gets in around noon, but he'll probably want a nap. After the drive, you know. I'll have some beer on ice. Sally smiled broadly. It'll be nice having company. Carla took the address from Sally and tucked it into her notepad, then asked, Anything else? I think that'll do until tomorrow. I offered Sally my hand and she shook it over the table. A night of beer and conversation with Mrs. Oversharer and her husband, Mr. Explosive Ejaculator. Something to look forward to. When we got back into the sedan, Carla immediately started in on me. Morno, I'm going to suggest that you go back to the unsmiling detective, because your happy detective face has a real serial killer vibe. And I'm going to suggest you let me do the questioning from now on. Why? I think I did a pretty good job. Carla pulled out her notepad, flipped it open, and proudly showed me her notes. I grabbed the notepad from her. Let's see. You jotted down the fact that her husband is probably a premature ejaculator. And what's this? Sally wears false eyelashes. I looked at her, questioningly. Yeah. Establishes her tendency to be disingenuous. I turned the air conditioner on high while looking over the notes. How? Because they're fake. Just like a man wearing a toupee. He's covering something up. Oh, this is good. Doggy style, in all caps. And you wrote DETACHED after it. Care to elaborate? Carla fiddled with the air vents. Well, because that particular sex position speaks to at least one of them being in no hurry to look at the face of the other. They're detached. I think it tells me something about their relationship. I see. I pulled out of the parking lot and into afternoon traffic. And what does it tell me about Crystal Bell? Carla opened her mouth to speak, but I reached over and put a finger to her lips with the same hand that held the notepad. A page flapped against her nose. When she grabbed for it, I yanked it out of her reach, dividing my concentration between driving and continuing to read. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Worked with Crystal Bell, deceased. I can't dispute the validity of that pertinent bit of info, which we already knew when we walked into the place. But I'm wondering why you didn't ask anything about the deceased herself. Like what? I tossed a notepad into her lap. Oh, I don't know. What kind of person Belle was? Was she a good worker? 
Did she show up on time? Any problems on the job? Her relationship with Deckard? Anyone who might have had an axe to grind? Did she know if Bell had any friends? Did she and Bell get along? Did they socialize out of work? And you think Miss False Eyelashes and Pheromones is going to give us the most honest information about those things? You ask, okay? The answers you get always tell you something. You find out they're lying. That tells you even more about them. Okay, fine. So I missed a few things. One or two. I turned to give her what I hoped was a stern look. Next time, and every time thereafter, I do the talking. When you were so busy flirting with her, I thought I should jump in. What? If what I'd been doing with Sally was flirting, I was definitely out of practice. Oh, give me a break. You've got a God-given set of pipes that make you sound like Sam Elliott with a -a two-pack-a-day habit doing a sexy pirate impression, and you blatantly exploit it at every opportunity. Really? 52? I wouldn't have thought you were day over 40, Miss Sally. Please, do tell us more about how Stanley speckled the bedroom with his liquid love. She sounded like the cookie monster. Jeez, I was just trying to establish a rapport, making nice, ingratiating myself. I was waiting for her to wind down. I get the distinct impression Sally doesn't have a wind-down setting. Anyway, if I was doing such a bad job, why didn't you interrupt me? Would have looked unprofessional, Carla. Like the goddamned Keystone Cops. Detective Kurt Bellamy would have interrupted. I'm not Detective Bellamy. Well, since we're on the subject of Detective Bellamy... Carla was trying to slide her foot a little further over the threshold. But I wanted to make it clear I hadn't invited her in. We're not. We won't ever be on that subject. Nor do I care to saunter up to it. Or tiptoe around it. That subject is not up for discussion. Are we clear? Yes, Detective. Crystal fucking clear. 